Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Upside Down, a verse-by-verse study of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Here's Pastor Nick. Amen. Could you please open with me in your Bibles to 1st Thessalonians, Paul's first letter to the Christians, the church in Thessalonica. If you're not sure where that is, God has given you a table of contents. Don't be ashamed to use it, just, or just flip around until you get there. That's the other way to do it as well. So let's begin this morning by reading our text, which comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. For though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ." But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we ask this morning as we consider it, as we go through these verses, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that your spirit would enlighten our hearts and our minds to understand these things, and Lord, help us not just remain at the place of understanding. Help us respond to these things, Lord. Help us to put them into action in our lives, that we might not just be hearers of the word, but that we might be doers also. Lord, would you use this time and these words to build us up in our most holy faith and to send us out in your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the word imitation is usually used in a negative sense, right? It tends to bring up negative uh, images in our mind or negative connotations. For example, imitation cheese is not as good as actual cheese. Uh, An imitation iPhone is never as good as an actual iPhone. Uh, When I was growing up, one of the biggest insults you could call somebody was to call them a poser, right? Which meant that they were a fake, they were a fraud, they were a phony, they were not original, they were just copying It meant all of those things. But the truth is, if we really get down to it, as much as we like to think that we're original, all of us are imitators. Everybody's imitating something and somebody. As original as I might think I am, the way that I dress, the way that I talk, the way that you live, right? As as original as we think we are, uh, it's always the result of us learning and observing and imitating. We're shaped by our communities and by our surroundings, whether we like it or not. See, imitation is how all of us learn from the time that we're small children as we grow up. And so when it comes to imitating people, 
imitation can be a very good thing or a very bad thing, depending on who you are imitating and what you're imitating. On the one hand, we, we often say that imitation is the highest form of flattery. You imitate people who you look up to because you want to be like them. You, you respect them or you like something about them. So you imitate it and you model yourself after them. And since everybody imitates, whether we like it or not, we all imitate on some level. The, the big question is this. Who are you imitating and what are you imitating? In the book of Acts, we read the story of the early days of Christianity, right after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, and he sent out his disciples into the world to spread the news about what he had done. And it tells us the amazing story there in the book of Acts of how Christianity spread and flourished throughout the world. And one of the things it tells us is that originally the followers of Jesus weren't called Christians. They were actually, they called themselves the way or followers of the way. And maybe that was because Jesus referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe it was because it implied that they were walking in the way of Jesus, following a certain path. But we read that it was in the city of Antioch that people first began calling the Christian believers Christians. And the word Christian, it meant, and originally it meant little Christ or imitation Jesus, right? It was originally meant as an insult. It was a form of mockery, right? Where they would make fun of people who were following Jesus. They would insinuate that they were kind of playing Jesus or, you know, playing pretend and acting like Jesus. But when these early Christians heard that insult, they weren't offended by it. They were flattered. They were like, really? You would look at us and associate us with Jesus? That is the highest praise we could ever receive. They're like, that's exactly who we are. That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to copy Jesus and just imitate him. And sure, of course, we're not as good at it as he is. Those are big shoes to fill. But if we could even just be a fraction of what he is, we would be over the moon. And so these Christians in Antioch, they embraced this insult. They owned it. And they said, that's exactly who we are, imitators of Jesus. And as Christianity spread, missionaries began to take the good news about Jesus to different parts of the world. And this was a big part of what they did and what they taught. They would come in and they would tell the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. And then they would begin teaching the, the believers how to imitate Jesus by living out the same love, the same forgiveness, the same redemptive work that Jesus had done in their lives. Essentially, what it means to be a disciple is imitation. Imitation is at the heart of discipleship. Not only is imitation the highest form of flattery, but you could even say that imitation is the sincerest form of discipleship. To be a disciple of Jesus is to imitate Jesus in your actions, in your attitudes, in your priorities. And so how do we do that? Well, in this chapter, in the first 12 verses of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, there are three things that we're going to see that relate to imitation and discipleship. And here's what those three, three things are. Number one, we've been entrusted with the gospel. So entrusted with the gospel. Number two, we're going to see a life worth imitating, what that looks like, what those things are that we should imitate. And finally, we're going to see motivation for imitation, the motivation for imitation. So let's talk about this first point, entrusted with the gospel. Let me give you a little bit of context to set this up because as we've been studying through this book, right, we're picking up, it's like playing golf, right? We just kind of pick up where we left off last week. So, so some context will help. Last Sunday, we began this new series in which we're studying verse by verse through Paul's letters, his two letters to the Christians in the city of 
Thessalonica. Paul had come to this city on his second missionary journey. And Thessalonica was one of the most important cities of the world at that time. It sat on a very important trade route, the Via Ignatia. And so when they came here, they intended, because this is such an important key uh, city strategically, they intended that they were going to stay here for a long time. And initially, things went really well. A church was formed, and people were coming and learning about Jesus. And things continued to go well until they didn't, which was about three weeks to a month after they arrived. They'd been there for just a little under a month, and we know that a mob was formed. Some angry people came, and they tried to flush Paul out of this house that he was staying in, and they wanted to kill him and his missionary team. Uh, They accused them of being revolutionaries who had come to, quote, turn this world upside down, right, just as they had in other places. And as a result of this angry mob, Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy, they had to get kind of snuck out the back door. You know, you, you imagine like in the movies where they come in and they, you know, they, they shoot the bed and then you open it up and there's just a dummy inside or some pillows, right? That's what it was like. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they sneak out the back door. They get smuggled out of town. They have to flee town in the middle of the night. And it wasn't until several months later that they were able to get a report on how the Thessalonian Christians were doing, how this church was holding up. Were they standing strong underneath the persecution they were facing, or were they giving in? Had they given up the faith? They didn't know, and so they got this report finally, and the report came back that the Christians in Thessalonica weren't just surviving, but they were thriving. They were growing. They were even sharing their faith with others. It was a great, glowing report, and so Paul writes these two letters to the church in Thessalonica in response to this report that he gets about how they're doing, and what's going on, and what they're facing and what questions they still have that need to be, uh, that he needs to instruct them about when it comes to doctrine and where they need encouragement in the faith. But another reason why Paul wrote this letter, particularly the section that we read today, was to defend himself. Now, why would Paul need to defend himself and his ministry? Well, because we see that clearly there were people making slanderous accusations uh, against him. People in the city of Thessalonica were attacking him. He had been attacked many times physically, but this time he was being attacked verbally. His character was being attacked. Uh, And not by people in the church, mind you. This was not by people in the church. This was by people outside of the church, people in town. You see, since Paul wasn't around anymore and they couldn't attack him physically, they had uh, resorted to attacking him with their words and they ran a campaign of, like a smear campaign against him, right? To slander his name and, and drag his name through the mud. Why? Because they hoped to discredit him because they thought if they could discredit Paul, then that would discredit the message that he preached and this whole Christianity thing would come to nothing in their city. And you can tell the kinds of things that people must have been saying about Paul based on the things that he defends himself of against, right? He's responding to the accusations that people were making against him. And basically what they come down to is three things, sex, money, and power, as as they always do. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 9.15 and 11 a.m. If you have missed any part of this message or past messages, you can find them all at besetfreeradio.com. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. 
right? So they accused Paul in these areas, sex, money, and power. First of all, they said, Paul, that guy's a perv. He's pervy Paul, right? He's, that's why he's out there doing this church stuff, trying to convert people, right? He just wants you to join his church. And then once you're in, who knows what happens behind those closed doors? This is actually a common, did you know this? This is actually a common uh, accusation that people made in the early days of Christianity about Christianity. There was some kind of weird sex cult and the behind closed doors, once they got you in, you, you know, who knows what's going on there? Cause they're always talking about love and they, and you know, as an illicit religion, they had to have meetings behind closed doors. And so they said, you know, Paul, he's, he's a perv. He's like some kind of crazy cult leader who draws you in. Next thing you know, he makes everybody sleep with him. And uh, he's probably got kids all over the place in every town that he goes to. And that's why Paul says in verse three, he says, you guys know that accusation isn't true. You know that I didn't come, he says, in immorality or with motives of impurity. Another thing they accused Paul of, they accused him of just being in it for the money, right? That was another uh, thing that he was some kind of mercenary, right? He's just in this to fleece the flock and get the money from the people. You know, it's kind of the classic thing that you say about preachers. Sometimes I, I hear people say things like this. They say, oh, religion, such a big business. If you want to get rich, then start a church, and let me, let me just uh, say, I, I, I have started a couple churches, and there's got to be an easier way to get rich than starting churches. Let me tell you, it's, it's got to be a more effective way to do it. Now, I understand there are some exceptions to this, but in general, let me just tell you, people involved in church work, they're not getting rich anytime fast. They're doing it for a whole different reason. But people were saying this about Paul, that he was only in this church business for the money. And Paul says, look, you guys know that's not true. You know that I never took a dime from you. Later on, he's going to say, I worked my fingers to the bone. I worked night and day so that I could support myself when I was among you. So what, is, what are these accusations of me being in it for the money? And the other thing they accused Paul of was that he was all about power right? That he was some kind of dictator or tyrant who just wanted to control people and manipulate them. They said, Paul lies. He has ulterior motives. He's got a police record, so you can't trust him. He's a shady character. He's a dodgy guy. And so one of the things that Paul wants to do in this letter is to speak to these accusations and clear up any confusion that they might have caused. And the way that he does that is by reminding the Thessalonians of the way that he actually lived when and acted when he was among them. Now, the reason why Paul is so eager to defend himself is not because he's insecure or thin-skinned, right? Like he can't handle criticism. No, the reason why Paul is so eager to defend himself is because he understands that these attempts to discredit him are not just attempts to discredit him as a person. They are attempts to discredit the gospel message that he had preached among the Thessalonians and that these Christians were following. See, this is what's called an ad hominem argument. Ad hominem argument is this. It's when instead of debating an actual topic and dealing with the ideas at hand, what you do is you sidestep the issue and you change the subject and you make it personal. You make it a personal attack against somebody who holds those views because you think if I can discredit that person, then that will discredit the things that they believe. Now, 
that's a very, this is a very weak and dishonest way to debate an issue, but it's also very common. We see this a lot in politics, right? We see this very often with politics, right? The politicians will resort to these kind of ad hominem arguments in which personal attacks are made, and they're trying to discredit the individual rather than dealing with their ideas or what they stand for. But this is also something that people do a lot in regard to Christianity and the Bible. They'll point out Christian leaders who have failed or fallen. They'll point out things like the Crusades and the Inquisition, and they'll say, see, that's why I can't believe in Christianity. That's why I won't be a Christian, because Christians are hypocrites, and a lot of bad things have been done throughout history under the banner of Christianity. And yet, uh, even if all those things are true and wrong, which of course we as Christians also agree that those things are wrong, um, what that person is doing is they're, they're sidestepping the real issue. They're not dealing with the issue. They're avoiding having to deal with the actual claims that Christianity makes that are either true or they aren't. So this kind of ad hominem argument is, is a weak, it's a dishonest way to debate an issue, but it's also very effective when it comes to swaying public opinion. And that's what people were trying to do in Thessalonica. And so Paul is eager to defend himself, not because he's so offended by these people saying these things about him, but because he doesn't want these people to succeed in discrediting the gospel by saying these things about him. Now, this is because Paul understood, as he says in verse 4, he understood that he had been entrusted with something. He had been entrusted by God with the message of the gospel. What an incredible honor to be entrusted by God with this message, this treasure. But it's also an incredible calling, an incredible responsibility to carry the gospel to the world, to represent the gospel in the world. See, the gospel is the good news about what God has done for you in order to save you because he loves you. He sent Jesus to live and to die and to defeat sin and death in order to remove the barriers that stood between you and God so you can be forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with God and life everlasting. And Paul had been entrusted with this message, this incredible treasure of the gospel. It had been placed in his care for this time in this place. And so when Paul heard that these people in Thessalonica were saying these things about him, he wanted to write immediately and say, hey, I need to refute these claims. Why? Because I do not want these people to succeed in bringing the gospel into question or bringing the gospel into disrepute. The gospel message, you could think of it like a baton in a relay race. You ever watched or participated in a relay race, right? Somebody hands off the baton, somebody else takes the baton, they run with it, and when their run is done, they hand it off to the next person who takes it and runs with it. And in a way, every generation since Jesus has been handed this baton of the gospel and charged with taking it and running with it and being faithful with it. And guys, let me just remind you, now is our turn. That baton has been handed to us, right? It's been given to us. And what a great privilege that is, but also what a great calling and what a great responsibility. Just like Paul, we have been entrusted with the gospel for this time and for this place. And the question is, what will we do with it? How will we steward it well? Will we be faithful to share it, to spread it? Will we represent it well? See, here's the deal. Paul cared about his reputation because he knew that his reputation could either help or hurt the cause of the gospel. Let me say that again. 
Paul cared about his reputation because he knew that his reputation could either hurt or help the cause of the gospel. And guys, do you know that that's true of you as well? Do you know that your reputation matters? Why? Because you have been entrusted. If you're a believer, you've been entrusted with the gospel. And therefore, your reputation, your character, your integrity, or lack thereof can either help or hinder this cause, this mission of the gospel. So Paul the Apostle, he actually did something which might be considered audacious. You know what he did? He, he came and he said, don't, he didn't just say, follow Jesus and imitate Jesus. He took it one step further and he said, you know what? Yes, follow Jesus. But you know what else? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, Paul put himself forward as a role model that people could follow. Paul didn't just say, don't look at me, look at Jesus. No, he said, yes, look at Jesus. And you can also look at my life. Why? Because the power of Jesus is at work in my life. It is real in my life. Paul was comfortable with the idea of other people following his example. And that's a very worthy goal for any Christian to have. What was the example that Paul lived out? Well, we're going to look at that next, our next point. But before we move on, let me just close out this thought by saying this. Friends, the gospel is for you, but it's not only for you. Right? The gospel is for you, but it's not only for you. Jesus died for you, but he didn't die only for you. Well, what it means to be a Christian, it means to be a person who is both called in and called out. Called in and called out. To be a Christian means that God has called you in to a relationship with him. And whenever God calls you in, he also calls you out, right? It means that you're also called out by God to be part of his mission in the world. God calls us in, but he never calls us in without also calling us out. So to be a Christian is to be somebody who has been entrusted with the gospel, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others. So if we have been entrusted with the gospel, which we have, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? How will the knowledge of that calling change the way that we live? That's the question. Now let's talk about a life worth imitating. Here in these verses, Paul speaks about three areas of his life that are worthy of imitation. Three areas of his life that are worthy of imitation. Here's what those areas are. Number one, his priorities. Number two, his actions. And number three, his motives. So his priorities, his actions, and his motives. Let's talk about his priorities. Paul understood that his life was not primarily about himself, but it was about God. Life is not primarily about me. It's about God. That's the priority that Paul had. Paul says in verse one, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. The NIRV translation puts it this way. Our coming to you was not a failure. Another translation says this. When we came to you, we were not wasting our time. Now, why would Paul say that? Well, obviously, there were some people who would look at Paul's time in Thessalonica, his ministry there, and they would say that was a failure. That was in vain. That was a waste of time. Why? Well, because Paul clearly and obviously intended to stay in Thessalonica a lot longer than he did. He had to leave prematurely. He clearly intended to stay there more than just three weekends, right? But things did not go the way that Paul planned. 
And anytime something in your life doesn't go the way you planned, it can feel like a failure. It can feel as if all of your hard work was in vain, that everything you poured your time and energy and heart into was just a waste of time. But Paul says, no, no way. No way. It was not a waste of time. It was not a failure. It was not in vain. Sure, things did not go the way that I planned or hoped they would, but you need to understand my priorities, Paul says. You need to understand my fundamental priority in life is not to live for myself and to fulfill my dreams and my plans. My priority in life is to live my life for God and to fulfill his plans for my life. Notice what he says in verse 2. Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi and been, uh, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul's like, hey, look, if I wanted a quiet job, like I'd get a job in a cubicle, like doing data entry, right? Then I'd have a quiet life. But obviously I didn't sign up for that. If I wanted to be popular, then I'd get a job selling ice cream. But clearly that's not why I'm doing this, right? Obviously there's something driving Paul that would cause him to go from town to town, city to city, everywhere he goes, getting beat up, then going to the next city and getting beat up there. It's like that old cartoon, you know, Pinky and the Brain, right? Every day, right? The one mouse, Pinky, asks the brain, he says, what are we going to do today, Brain? And Brain says, the same thing we do every day. We're going to try to take over the world. But with Paul and Timothy and Silas, it was different. It was like, what are we going to do today? You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have two in-person services on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 11 a.m. And both services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. If you would like to support Be Set Free Radio or the ministry of Whitefields Church in Longmont with a donation, you can send a check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or give a financial gift online at whitefieldschurch.com.